Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman. My guest today, George Raveling, is iconic for many reasons. The first can be traced back to a great moment in history, August 1963, and the story that goes with it. George and a buddy were nudged to go to the March on Washington to be part of a massive demonstration for equal rights. George is a big guy. He'd received a basketball scholarship to Villanova. And when an organizer spotted him and his buddy the night before the event, it seemed like a good idea to bring them on as bodyguards. So George was on stage when Martin Luther King gave his I Have a Dream speech. And as Dr. King walked off afterward, without quite knowing why, George politely asked him for it. Dr. King was folding it up and handed it over to George before others redirected his attention. Documentaries have been made showcasing that moment, but George was only getting started. I could also introduce him as basketball coach at Washington State in Iowa and USC, member of the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. On top of that, I could tell you that George was one of the coaches on the U.S. Olympic basketball team that included Michael Jordan and Larry Bird in 1984. I could also introduce George as the former director of international basketball and global ambassador for Nike. And he'll tell some of the stories that touch on his past in this next hour, but this podcast is really about his love of books and the power of books and the wisdom that's come out of the shopping bags of books that George passes on to people. Whenever I see George, he's carrying around a shopping bag filled with books, and he's got some for me. He's so generous with his gifts and his time and his advice that there really is only one way to introduce George Raveling, and that's like this. George Raveling is a national treasure. I was happy to be able to gift George with a book when we met at WeWork to record the podcast, the folio book of historic speeches. The book I gave George contained the I Have a Dream speech, and it made me feel so good to find out that George didn't already have it in his collection because he's got thousands of books in his library at home and in storage. The man who's always given out gifts is a hard man to find a gift for. But I got a couple more gifts coming George's way. I'm going to send him a Sportique hoodie. Sportique apparel is the definition of comfort. You can see why at Sportique.com. That's S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com. And here it comes. You ready for this? You ready? If you use the offer code CAL, C-A-L, you'll get a 20% discount. That's going to make that hoodie, comfy tee, or pair of sweatpants even more comfortable. Sportique, S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E dot com. There's no E between the Q and the E. Check it out and discover the meaning of comfort. I'm also going to send George a My Intent bracelet. I know that George is going to love this because my intent bracelets make you think about where you're headed. That's because you chisel in the word that you want to guide you going forward so that every time you look at it, 
you're inspired to get where you want to go. It's like having a North Star on your wrist. We'll take you to new places because when people see it, they're going to ask you about it. And you're going to get into a conversation you never would have had if that bracelet wasn't there. For your bracelet, go to myintent.org and use the offer code CAL and you'll get a 30% discount. These bracelets are already a huge value with the discount. <laughs> You're going to be sitting pretty. Oh, and I got another great deal for you. My friends at WeWork have offered to give anyone who uses the offer code www.we.co slash cal a 20% discount on office space. All you got to do is just visit WeWork. And you're going to see why I do my podcasts there. They say it's where company meets community, but to me, it feels like home. There are a lot of options. If you need a table, you're good. You want desk space? Got you covered. You need an office for yourself with soundproof privacy? Done. Conference rooms, theater spaces, whatever you need. WeWork has got it. And you're going to get it at 20% off just by using the offer code www.we.co slash cal. Now, I know I once said I'd never use offer codes, but what kind of guy would I be if I could bring you these discounts and refused? It's clearly a time for gifts. And so let's get straight to George Rabbling. I got to say, one of the great privileges I've had in my whole life is to walk through a bookstore with you. Just to walk the aisles and look at books with you. I don't think I've ever met anyone who loves books as much as you do. Uh, we spent a great day together. in Esawan. Uh, <clears throat> we went to Esawan, which is, in my opinion, is the number one black independent bookstore in America. Even the New York Times picked them number one. It's it's in the Lamert Park section of Los Angeles, and I think it's an incredible bookstore. Uh, not a month goes by that I, that I don't go there for a visit. How many times do you go to a bookstore every week? Oh, probably six to eight times I, I go. Uh, there's a Barnes & Noble in El Segundo. I go. I, I, I actually stop in there every morning to pick up my newspapers. Every day I buy the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, uh, the LA Times, and, and the Daily Breeze. Uh, and so I stop in there and, and pick them up in the morning. And so I would say I go to the, the Barnes & Noble and El Segundo probably at least six times a week. And the one in, in um, Marina Del Rey probably five times a week. I, I, know, I know every cashier. I know, I know the general managers. I know everybody <laughs> in the bookstore. I know where all the books are located in the bookstore. Let, let's go back and see where this all started. The Man Who Loves Books. You, you grew up in Washington, correct? Washington, D.C., yes. And uh, born in a segregated hospital. In, yep, in Garfield Hospital. Uh, and it was a segregated hospital. For, uh, uh, one floor for black patients and all the rest were for, for whites. And 
So I, I was I, I was born uh, June 27, 1937. So uh, at that time, uh, Washington, D.C. was 75% black, but the city was still segregated. And uh, so... Uh, Books were were not a commonplace in, in a black household, and and because uh, one uh, in in uh, starting nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, forties, fifties, the libraries were all segregated, so you didn't have access to, and there weren't and there weren't uh, uh, many bookstores around, and even if there were, where were you going to get the money to buy a book? And so books, and, and that, that's why I feel such a, an, un, uh, an unusual passion to read. I'm trying to make up for all the time that I lost in the early part of my life when I didn't uh, have the, an, uh, access to books like I do now. I didn't have an understanding of the relevant role that they would play in my, my adult life. Could you recall seeing somebody reading a book when you were a kid and, and wishing that you could? Or how did books seem to you uh, the first nine years of your life? I don't ever remember uh, seeing many people. First, f- first of all, in, 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 in the, the late 30s and the 40s, and you were a black person in the 50s in D.C., you, 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 your life was defined by one single word, survival. Every day when you got up in the morning and you, you looked out at the world from a tiptoe stance, it was all about how do I survive till tomorrow? And, 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 and so... So reading a book would have been a luxury. Absolutely. I was going to say, we didn't have the luxury to think about. You know, some people, when I hear people talk on <clears throat> television and other uh, situations, they'll say, oh, I knew when I was nine years old what I wanted to be. When I was nine years old, I had no clue what, 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 what life was all about. I was, I, I was just trying to, to go from from this 24 hours to the next 24 hours and the next 24 hours and 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 so books were 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 something that you just didn't have an exposure to you didn't uh this to say did i ever see books certainly but uh the 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 accessibility to them is, is today is 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 unlimited in those days it it, it was it was near impossible to have a book so unless, it, unless you had a book in school, yes, you had books in school, but but uh, and 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 basically the books you had in school were subjects and and, and thoughts and philosophies that they wanted you to learn. So so one of the problems I have with our educational system is we spent we spent so much time teaching kids uh, what to think and instead of how to think. And so most of our system today, when I was coming along as a kid, the whole educational process was about teaching me what to think, but not how to think. And so I've, I've, had, I've spent the late part of my adult life trying to learn how to think. And, what, and, 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 uh, and, and so as a result, uh, it, it, it's been a blessing in disguise because it's made the last 40 or 50 years of my life an absolutely incredible journey. And, and to to places and and circumstances and people that I that I, I never knew existed. So you have some defining moments in your life pretty early on. I know so we've gone out to eat and mm. talked a bunch. 
Uh, your dad passed when you yeah, when you I were was nine. my dad when I was nine. My dad, my dad was uh, a, a groom at at Delaware Racetrack, and my dad died when I was nine. And when I was uh, around twelve or thirteen, my mom had a nervous breakdown and was institutionalized the rest of her life. And so now the question becomes: Okay, so now what do you do with George? And so my grandma worked for this family in Georgetown, and the daughter was head of Catholic charities, and so she was able to get me in a Catholic boarding school up in Pennsylvania, St. Michael's, which is uh, it was a school located in Holman Heights, Pennsylvania, which from, if you live in Pennsylvania, you probably would recognize it a little more, but the closest town to, to where the school was called was called Tunkani. But it was really between Scranton and Wilkesburg would, 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 would be two cities most people would recognize, especially Scranton. So through this serendipitous turn of events, you're in a boarding school, and what happens to the way you see books at that point? Well, the books still were, were, were looked upon as an, as an educational tool. Uh, they, they, were, they were never looked upon as something leisurely or something that, that you did just for uh, a, a enjoyment. Or, or uh, Books then were always, this is a way for you to learn. So it was work. Yeah, it was work. It, and, and it was never uh, until I got into my later parts of my life did I ever see uh, the, the joy of reading. This is probably a, an unusual way to capture it. But in the early part of my life, uh, books were about work, but the work of learning, but it was, was about work. And in the latter stages of my life, I realized that uh, books liberated me. I used books became my mistress. They became my GPS. They, they became my mentors. They became my best friends. And, and books took me places I never thought I would ever go. And they, they taught me th- lessons I would never learned on my own. Every time I picked up a book, I felt a, a, a unique freedom because when I pick up a book, I can make my own rules. See, in the early part of my life, someone taught me, this is how you read. You pick up the book, you, you start at the beginning, you go to the back. No one ever talked to me about taking the joy of, of discovery, of taking notes. And, and so we still are victims of that today. Most people read from the beginning to the end. I, 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 I couldn't tell you the last time I read a book from this chapter one to, oh, to, 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 to the final chapter. To George, me, I'm spending so much time thinking about my first sentence. And it may take you two hours to get there. No, so 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 let's. I just want to see how many chapters there are in this book. Okay, so there's probably there's probably uh, thirty two chapters in this book. So that's so what I do is the thirty two chapters become thirty two books. Each chapter is a book in itself. And so then I go through. And what I've grown to understand over time is probably forty percent. Of, of the information in a book are, uh, are not applicable to me. You know, I, I don't find great value in it. Uh, uh, the book that I, I, I rave a lot about is uh, Beth Comstock's book, Imagine It Forward. But I don't know when's the last time I, I read a book and underlined and made notes 
on 98% of the pages. As, as I, I think I showed you before, one thing I discovered about new the books today, all of them have six blank pages in them. And so uh, you pick up any, so what I decided rather than carry, have to carry an extra notebook around, I use the blank pages and I write notes in them. And as you can see, I write up at the top of the pages, down at the bottom of the pages, and the same thing on the back. So when you buy a book, you really get a, you get a free notebook. Because if you, you, you can get a hell of a lot of information. And, and, and actually, in this book, I think they have nine blank pages. But so I, I, I used a book, and I got, I got a self-contained notebook in there. So, so you can write your notes in there. And what I like about reading today is a sense of liberation. I can make my own rules. Everybody tells you, start here, in there. That's the old-time thinking. That's the traditional way of doing it. And I think also, if people were able to read books based on their own rules and regulations, their own level of interest, I think we'd get a lot more people interested in reading. I mean, I people say, why do you get so passionate now? Because I have my own system. It's not somebody telling me this is how I should read a book or this is how I should read a page. So I, I make up my own rules, and, and it's, it's, it's so much damn fun to figure out new ways to do stuff. Uh, okay, so on this, these two pages here, I wrote around the margin of every It's like page. a graffiti artist yeah, has that, taken that, that, over the book. That's what I'm saying. But it, it's so much fun to, to not have somebody else try to tell you, I know. And, and especially if you're a minority, our whole life has been dominated by the mentality, we know what's best for you. Well, you don't know what's best for me because you never met me. And so somebody's trying to tell me this is the best way to read a book. How do you know that? It's not the best way for me. It might be the best way for someone else. And so now I, I get so damn excited now because I can do anything. I, I, I can open up a book and I, and, and I make up my own rules. Now, what happens? I'm jumping ahead of this, but just a quick question. What happens when you're reading a fictional short story? I don't read fiction. Oh, okay. That's, that's why I was going to ask. Yeah, I don't read fiction. Uh, because... In fiction, you basically have to know yeah. what the foundation is in order to get to the next level. Mm -hmm. So it's all nonfiction for you. Yeah. I couldn't tell you the last time I read a. Uh, well, I, I shouldn't say that because I shouldn't say I don't read fiction because I'm a John uh, Gresham. There, there are authors that I read, but I don't know. It, I, it, you know, it's interesting because we were looking in your binder and you, you had a passage where you were saying, like, things that high school graduates need to be taught. Or something along those oh, lines. Oh, yeah, yeah. This, this, and this. storytelling was on that list. Yes. I keep these journals three days a, a, a month. Uh, I, I go through and I, and I, put, my, I put my notes in, 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 into the journals in that. And... Uh, so I mean, I'm glad we're getting this on film because this is this is amazing. So 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 here's a passage from one of the what I call my modern journals because I have these journals going back as you know to the 70s. Here's one that says: Dream bigger dreams, learn more, succeed more, fail more, grow more, giving up too soon. These are different regret. 
So I, I just write, I write down, I have my own style. See, that, that's the other thing. Uh, everybody says, oh, you got to go right to left. You got to do this. It's got to be. So I, I, I just create my own fun styles. And, and so this one, I, I write longer texts on this one. I write shorter texts and so forth. So you're in boarding school and you start to play basketball and you get offered some scholarships. And this actually uh, like touches back on your grandma who you had a great line to describe her before we started the recording. You were saying she was the audio book of her time. Yeah, my gra- well, in the absence of books, uh, my grandmother was my audio book. She, 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 she taught me what I learned today in books, life lessons. She was teaching me back. And what's interesting, my grandmother uh, dropped out of school in, in third grade to, to, because she had to work to help support the, the family. But what she had is she had uncommon wisdom. And, and, and uh, the knowledge wasn't a sophisticated knowledge, but her wisdom had great depth and dimension to it. Part of the reason that I acquired this passion and commitment to reading was because a story that my grandma told me that she said, do you know back in the days of slavery that the plantation owners used to hide their money in their books? They put the money in the books and they put it up on the bookshelf. And I said, well, why, why, why did they, they put them up on the bookshelf and, and why weren't they concerned? And she said, well, the, the plantation owners knew the slaves couldn't read, so they never take the books down, so they didn't have to worry about it. And so my takeaway from that was, okay, I get it. If a person can control your mind, they can control your body. And I said, oh, this will never happen to me in my life. They might be able to control my body, but they'll never be able to control my mind because I'm going to make sure that I'm going to read as much as possible. If they thought it was important enough to keep knowledge and books away from us, then I was going to make it an, an asset. And from that moment on, I, I, I started to look at books differently. And then, and then as I began to read more, I realized that in the 1920s and the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, blacks had no access. You couldn't get a library card. You were not allowed in a library. And so once we got into demonstrations for integration and equal equality, people died uh, demonstrating uh, libraries for the right for blacks to be able to get a library card, to be able to go into a library and get a book. So my take on that, if someone died for to get me the right to read, then I have an obligation to read. Wow. Uh, and, and so what popped into my mind was a saying that I heard Martin Luther King say one time. He said, if a man or woman hasn't found something in life that they're willing to die for, perhaps they're not fit to live. And if someone thought it was important enough that they were willing to give their life up to get black people access to libraries, then 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 I'm not going to dishonor their, their presence on earth by not going to the library, by not reading. And there had to be a reason why they didn't want us to go to the library. To me, I, I see reading as an opportunity, but also I see it as, as an obligation. I feel uh, morally obligated to, to take advantage of this opportunity. Someone gave, went out and gave up their life for, to get this right for me. You know, listening to, to your story, I'm wondering, 
Is this one serendipitous step after another as opposed to anything being planned? Because we're about to, you go from being what, 13 or so and basically losing your sense of home Mm -hmm. to a boarding school, which transforms your life. Mm -hmm. And the next- Basketball scholarship. Basketball scholarship, first African-American at Villanova. Mm -hmm. And it's gonna take you on the stage in Washington, D.C. with Martin Luther King when he's giving his I Have a Dream speech. Yes. And you, you, you didn't plan that a week before. No, I, I, I think if I, if I had to sum up from a, a strategic standpoint my life, I would say it's strategic positioning. Uh, my life has been a continual succession of being in the right place at the right time. And being in the right place at the right time has benefited me from the perspective of relationships. I've met so many people in my life who took me from where I was there to a higher level. I I met so many people who intentionally or unintentionally invested in me as a person. And so... When I first met Bob Knight, Bob Knight was an assistant coach at, at West Point, and I was an assistant coach at Villanova. I had no idea that he was going to end up being who he was, John Thompson. When I, when I, when I first met Phil Knight, uh, uh, Nike was, I, I, I first met Phil Knight in 1978. And 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 company was just starting. Nike, Phil Knight was wasn't. It wasn't Phil Knight. It wasn't Phil Knight. And I often say to myself, people, when you meet them, are not going to end up being. They're going to end up being a different person later in life. And so I've been fortunate to meet so many incredible people in my life. And a friend of mine, Glenn Wilkes, and I were talking today, and I told him I think one of the most undervalued uh, uh, skills for a person to have is relationships. There's nowhere in our educational system today do we teach people the value of relationships. And I think I think it's a little bit of a, of a, of a, a disservice that, particularly today with our young people, I think our young people today. Uh, need relationship skills more than they ever do. Uh, and when we talk about relationship skills, there's relationship skills with others, but the, the one that goes greatly underlooked is our relationship with ourselves. The most important relationship that, that you or I ever are ever going to have is the relationship that we have with ourselves. When we, when we get up in the morning and we look in the mirror, if we don't li- uh, like the person we see in the mirror, don't blame the mirror. And and so we 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 can't we, we do want there's got to be a balance with our young people today. We've got to teach them the relevance of the relationships with themselves, which I think they struggle with more today than relationship with others. I think their lack of of, of a wholesome, sustainable, unique, uncommon relationship with themselves begins to build a fence around them. And, and so they now devalue relationship with others. Think about this, Cal. Young people today, 10, 11, 12 years old, they have a greater and more meaningful relationship with the screen than they do with a human being. Yes. And, 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 and maybe so, even a video game. Well, yeah. 
And what, what, what today in our society, we talk about loneliness, suicidal tendency, depression, all of those things are the absence of the nourishments that feed you as a human being. So you're not alone. You need other people in your life. You, you, need, you need a vibrancy. The, the screen has just become so self-absorbing now. And, and most of the, the stats and books I read today, they say the average American spends eight to nine hours a day in front of the screen. Right. If I spend four hours a day watch I mean a week spending television watching television it's a miracle that, that what I watch the most on television is c-span book notes and book readers should really support c-span book notes I probably buy 30 books a year just based on on interviews with authors that I see on c-span book notes so it comes on 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 Saturdays and Sundays and I'll look to see what shows they're going to have on a Saturday and Sunday. And I tape them all and then go back and, and read it. But that's how I learn about a lot, a lot of books. Is, is, is. And then the other thing while we're on that subject is people say, well, how do you find out about all these books? Well, what I do is I've subscribed to these different publications as, as we have them here in front of us. Uh, the New York uh, Book Review, another one called Book Forum. This, this is a, a, a great one also called Bookmarks, uh, the Chronicle of Higher Education and the London Book Review. These are, I, I get these every month so that I can stay up. And, and so I discover books that otherwise I wouldn't, I wouldn't know about. And so that, that's become a great source of information, those in, in C-SPAN book notes. So I'm, I'm looking at how the way you gain proximity to the book that you would never have known about. Mm -hmm. How did you get close to the stage where Martin Luther King is gonna give his I Have a Dream speech? Because it's certainly nobody knew that speech was gonna be given to, mm -hmm. to begin with. And an amazing event happened that you became part of. Well, you say, well, okay, how did that all happen, George? I look back on it now, and if you said, you got to capture it all in one word, I would say curiosity. So, wow. so uh, on a Thursday night, the night before the, the March on Washington, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, I was having dinner at, in Claymont, Delaware, with my best friend, uh, Warren Wilson, and his parents, we were all having dinner. His dad was a ver probably the, maybe the most prominent black person in Wilmington, Delaware. He's a dentist. <clears throat> and so the television was on in the background, and they were talking about the forthcoming March on Washington that Saturday. And the March on Washington was going to be the largest gathering of, of, of black people in the history of America. Uh, Dr. Wilson asked us if we were going, and we said no. And he asked us why, and we gave him an adolescence an answer that uh, we couldn't afford it. So he said, well, I'll solve that. And he, he reached in his pocket and took out some money and gave us some money, and, and then he had two cars. He said, you take the other car, you guys should beat her. I don't know. I look back now, and he had the foresight to understand that this is something that these young people need to be in attendance at. Did he know about the, the so-called I Have a Dream speech and, and, and that it was going to become a, a, such a historic moment in the life of America? Probably not. But thank God that he had the wisdom to, to, to look at these two black boys and say, you know what, you need to be there. Whatever happens, you need to be there. And so we drove down on that Friday 
and we found a, a motel room off of New York Avenue. At that time, the the main thoroughfare in and out of uh, Washington, D.C., going north and south was, was New York Avenue. And so we got a room, and, and so for whatever reason, we said, let's drive down to the monument grounds, just see what how to, how to, a quick way to get down there and what's going on. And so we get down there around 10 o'clock at night, and we're walking around, and we bump into this gentleman, and he says, hey, are you guys, and I'm 6'4", and Warren is 6'4", so he, he, he says, are you guys coming tomorrow? And we said, yeah, sure. And he said, uh, would you want to volunteer? And we said, for what? He said, to be security guards. He said, we're going to have three times as many people as, as we thought we are, and we're going to have to triple the security up at the podium. And so when when we got there the next morning, he said, be there at, at eight o'clock. And we got there about 730 in the morning. I was I know we were at least a half an hour, 45 minutes before he told us. And we found him and he said, wow, you guys are early. And he looked at us again. And he said, you guys are going up on the podium. And so that's how we got to be security up on the podium. And they actually had a, a secure plan. Okay, when when it's over and, and there was we're to perform this V around King and and we're to take them out the back of Lincoln Memorial. If there was a a demonstration or anything doing it, we we get all the people on the podium out the back side of of the Lincoln Memorial. So as King comes to to the concluding remarks, our job was to start to form the wedge, so that that when once it was it was the, the speech was over, that we could usher the group back out of out of the uh, Lincoln Memorial. Well, what, what was it like listening to this speech? Had you heard Dr. King speak before? Oh yeah, I'd heard him speak a, a number of times before, but. Um, this was the closest that I, you know, you're, you're I, I, only I, a few feet away. Yes, and uh, but there's so much history behind behind the speech itself. First of all, the uh, the original copy did everybody had had uh, a five minute limitation on how long they could speak, and so uh, and you had to submit the speech in advance, and so in the in the. Uh, the speech that King submitted, the I Have a Dream part, was not part of the speech. And if you were to take the prepared text, which I have, and you go through and watch it on the video or listen to it on audio, it'll be word to word to word until you get to the last paragraph. And then at, at as he's coming, getting toward the, the last paragraph, you hear a female voice say, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. Well, that female voice was Mahalia Jackson, the greatest uh, gospel singer of all time. And she sang at all of Martin's uh, rallies and meetings around the country. So she had heard King do this. Uh, do the, the I Have a Dream part in, in, in Detroit. In fact, when he did it in Detroit, it was at uh, 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 Reefa Franklin's uh, dad's church. But the first time he did it was in Selma. And, and so, so at that point, King ad lives in the I Have a Dream part. So my take on how did it become the I Have a Dream speech when it was over and the, the delegation went to uh, A. Philip Randolph and, and, and King, uh, there were a bunch of people from the delegation, I'm going brained in on, an, on all the names at one time I knew. So they go to the White House, they go in the Oval Office, when they walk in, President Kennedy looks up and he says, Dr. King, I, I loved your I Have a Dream speech. 
And so, the media, so, so that put the brand on it, and the media ran with yeah. the, the I Have a Dream speech. And l- little did we know at that time that the speech was going to take on the hi- historic significance that it did. So Dr. King is walking off. What got into your head to ask him, can I please have that speech? Uh, only God can answer that question because I have. that's the most frequently asked question. Why did you do it? I have no idea why I did, but I'm damn glad I did. And and and, uh, and he just handed it over yeah, well, to you. Actually, if there's C- there's been about four or five documentaries done on it. CBS actually uh, has a still of it where, as he's finished and he's folding it, and you can and as he's handing it to me, they 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 actually do a still shot where you can see King has it folded. And you can see my hand out because he was not the last speaker. Everyone said he was the conclusion, but the, the rabbi had said the benediction. So just as I said that to him, the rabbi says, Dr. King, greatest speech you ever heard. And, and so King's uh, uh, attention shifted back to the rabbi and it was over. And, and if you saw the speech right now, you could still see the crease marks from where he folded it. Wow. Is there something about the spoken word that stands out more than the written word? I think if there is, it's it's the human experience. That that that. Per, uh, in fact, in in Comstock's book, she says one of the most important things in life are people talking with people. And, and, and when you talk, I think you can feel a piece, a person's emotions. Uh, and King had this, this, this way of, uh, of just taking the audience by, by their trousers or by their skirts and, and, and lifting them up. He'd say, for example, he'd say, how long will wounded justice lie prostrate in the streets? How long? And he, I, I, I call them drum beats. He would hit that same thing. How long? Right. And, and then all of a sudden, uh, he would be playing with your emotions, and he'd get your emotions up. And then, and then when after the fourth litany of uh, how long, he would pause, and then he would say, not long. And so he, t- he had you all the way up here, and he took you back down. To, 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 and now we're going to go back, and he's going to take you on another mental trip. But I, I think the, the ability to connect with another human being emotionally and, and, and to be able to, to, to mix and match the emotions, you don't get, you, people cry when they read books and that, but it, it's just not, it's a different experience, it's a different emotional experience. What is it more like? talking to yourself when you're reading a book. It's a very, uh, the experience is very individual. It's you and that book. Well, for me, when I read a book, I I recognize that my number one responsibility, uh, anybody can read a book. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that that you learned from the book. Oh, I see what you're saying. So so to me, I see my one of my responsibilities as a reader is I'm really a, a translator. I'm trying to translate what it is that the writer is saying, and the the easy part is is to understand the 
the meanings above the surface, but what are the hidden meanings and what what are, what are the little subtle stories? What are the 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 the, the, the backstories that that he's really telling? Like after I read a page in a book, now I'll go back after I've I've, I've finished the page and I underline and I'll go back and I'll reread the page again. But I reread the page differently. There, I say, okay, what did I miss the first time? I would say, Cal, probably. 40% of the time when I go back and read a page, I will have missed something that I, I that's unexplainable. I'll say to myself, damn, how did I not get catch that the first time? And so so to me, that's what I love about, uh, about reading is the author takes me out in the middle of this, this field and, and he just leaves me there. And I got to find my own way back. You know, and as I'm coming back, I'm learning this and I'm learning that. And so there's so many unintended lessons that the author's teaching you. And, and, and that's what I think is, is so much fun about it is everybody can every, everybody can see what's beneath the surface. But the, the uniqueness is, can I see what lies beneath the surface? So when you got that speech in your hand, did you have the same passion for the written word that you do now? Or was that developed over time? I know uh, coach at Maryland, Lefty Drizelle, yeah. was very influential in changing your reading habits. Yeah, he, was, he, was, he, he actually was the first person who really was adamant that I had to read more and the relevance that it was. Lefty's uh, remark to me, if you want to be somebody more than who you are today, you, you, got, you got to read 10 times more than everybody else does. You got to learn at an accelerated rate. Otherwise, you, you, you're going to just be average. If everybody's reading at, at say, the rate of 30, then, then I got to be reading at the, the, the rate of 70. Was, was that really the start of this trajectory for you? Yeah, I, it's, it started more with newspapers than, than, than books because if you remember back in, 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 the, in the 60s and 70s, all the major cities in America had three newspapers. There great more, newspapers, yeah, yeah. Great writers. Right. Great, that's the one thing I noticed more than anything about newspapers today. The quality of writing is very inferior. And, and a lot of times when you read a story in a newspaper today, it's not even a storyline. I mean, all of a sudden you're reading and you're getting interested and boom, it's over. And you, you think, there has to be more to this. But, but so I started out, uh, the cities had a morning edition, an afternoon edition, and an evening edition. So, so, so you take Philadelphia. The morning edition was the Enquirer. The afternoon edition was the Daily News, and and the bulletin was the evening edition. So you had three papers, and and D.C. You could go down to a newspaper stands, and there were four or five places in D.C. where you could buy out of town newspapers. So Boston papers would come in, the Philadelphia papers would come in, the the the, the Richmond papers, all all those New York, all of the cities along the Eastern Seaboard. So I. Someone was telling me uh, recently, he said to me, he says, I'll never forget the time you gave me a ride back from Pittsburgh to D.C. 
and and there was no and there was no room on the back seat or in the trunk for my suitcase, so I had to hold on my on my lap because the back seat was filled with newspapers and the and the trunk was filled with newspapers. So I'd wow. have I'd have all these newspapers that and and I and and that's how it started more with newspapers and then and then and then became books. And now it's fashionable to read books. I mean every and books are so much more accessible today. I, I, everybody says, what, aren't you worried of that bookstores are going to go out of business and all that? I don't really, well, I shouldn't say I don't really care, but I, I fortified. I, I have enough books stored up now that there's no way that, I, that, that I'll live long enough to read them all. So if the bookstores go out, uh, fine. I, I, it's like people that have, have a, a special uh, thing in their cellar. They got all these canned foods and water for a time. Oh, uh, yes, there's yeah, a nuclear yeah. war. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're prepared. So, so, so if there's a, a nuclear uh, book war, <laughs> I, I'm prepared. I got my water, I got my canned food and everything. Did you find that many coaches in your day used books in a way that we may not use them now? I know Bobby Knight pushed you to write your own Yes. Book. No, I, I think that, and once I had become a, an assistant coach in college, uh, books became far more relevant in my life, and especially when when you you had the kings of the world, you had the James Baldwin's of the world, you had the Malcolm X of the world. Uh, the, 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 your your role models, your heroes were people of of unusual intellect. I mean, you, you talk about King uh, Baldwin. Uh, a Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali. Just take those four. There's only one of them went to college. Dr. King was the only one went to college. James Baldwin never went to college. Malcolm X never went to college. Muhammad Ali. But they they had an uncommon street intelligence. Those guys became my heroes. They became my mentors. People think you have to have a, a visible, tangible mentor. I, I, I only knew one of those people was, was Dr. King, but those are my four role models. They're my four mentors. I try, I, I, I've learned so much about, about uh, my responsibilities to my race, to my society, to myself. I learned most of what I've learned, I've learned from those four people. They were necessary because they, they met levels of intelligence at different touch points. James Baldwin was clearly uh, the, the intellectual of the group. Then you had Dr. King, who, who he he reached a certain mentor. Then you had Muhammad Ali, who who's who was who. Muhammad Ali was a rapper before rappers. Right. Anybody even knew rappers existed. He was rap. If 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 Muhammad Ali was paid as a rapper back when he was a boxer, he made ten times more than as a rapper than he was a, as a boxer. And Malcolm X was was uh, basically most of his education took place in a penal system. He spent, because he spent a, a lot of his life in prison and that's where he educated himself. So when you start reading, do you feel compelled to pass this along to as many people as you can? Because anybody who goes into a bookstore with you is gonna come out with a bag of books that you're buying for him. Yeah. I think uh, when I was at Villanova, I was taking a sociology class, and the, the one thing that this professor can be assured of 
is that he taught me something that I, at 81, that I still uh, am an advocate of. He said, he said to us, he said, nothing in life is of any value unless you can share it with others. And so all of these opportunities that I have to, to, to share books or, or to share knowledge or to share circumstances, I try to pass it on and, and do it enthusiastically. I would say... On a monthly basis, my biggest discretionary uh, spend is, 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 is on books, newspapers, ma and magazines. And, and so, for example, it costs me a little over $17 a, a day to, on newspapers and magazines. I probably spend uh, easily $1,500 a month on books. I said, uh, you, you, you know, because you've ridden with me in my SUV, it's like my mobile library. So if right. you if you go and look in the back seat or in, in, in the uh, uh, luggage uh, area in the back, if you were to go out there right now, I probably have 50 books out there. I just carry them with me all the time. I have a certain section that are just my own personal reads. And then the others are just uh, books that I give to people. I mean, I can go in a restaurant, and if I go in a, uh, a, a restaurant frequently, uh, there's a, a place called Jay Nichols in the Marina or Paponi's is one of my favorite Italian restaurants in L.A. When I go and I take a book, and I'll give it to the waiter at the end. So to me, I, I kind of call it the, the three wise men effect. The, the, the one thing I learned when I was a youngster about the three wise men, they always came bearing gifts. And so I feel, I say, whenever I go someplace, I should always uh, come bearing gifts. And my gifts are always going to be books. Have people told you that the books you've gifted them have changed your life? Some people have changed their life. Right. Yeah. It, 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 and uh, I have an interesting observation, though, about giving away books. I'll give books to certain people. And if I notice that they don't read them, I stop giving them to them. Because I, I, I can't, I, 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 a, a book unread up on the shelf is, is an assassination. Oh, what a line. <laughs> what a line. Oh, and, my goodness. To, to me, uh, why, why would I give someone else a book that, that I know they're not going to read when I can give it to somebody that's going to read it and is going to benefit from it, that's going to grow and, 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 and become, uh, discover more about who, who, who they are. What does your library look like at home? In my house, much to the dismay of my wife, I think, we have, not, not the, this part, but we have a, li a, a one-room library, which we probably have, well over 2,500 books. I, I now bought, I went online and bought these uh, mobile uh, book racks that you find in libraries or bookstores. They hold 75 <laughs> books. So I bought four of those so I could, because I, I had books stacked up on the floor and it was driving my wife nuts. So we have that. And then I have an office in my house. There's probably 200 books in, in, in the bookshelves in, my, in the office in my house. And my other two strategic reading points in the house are my on my side of the bed, I, I, I keep eight books and, and, and about four stenographer pads by the bed. And so at night before I go to bed every night, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to spend 
at least 30 minutes reading. I have a, a hard and fast rule that, it, that I will not go through a day without reading four hours a day. And people, people will say, oh, I, I, I don't have time to do it. That's a BS answer. It's, it's, it's not about having time. It's about having discipline and making things a priority in your life. And, and so you, all you have in life is time. And so to me, I can easily find four hours to, to, to read. One, if, if, if I, as, and you know this is true because you, you and I spend a day together. If I'm going to meet, if I say, Cal, I'm going to meet you at this restaurant at six o'clock, I'm at the restaurant at five. I'm somewhere in that location at five, and I'm sitting there reading. Uh, or there's a, 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 a place I love to go to in Brentwood. With three blocks down the street, there's, there's, there's a Starbucks on the right-hand side. So I'll go, and I can park on the side there, and I'll go to Starbucks, and I'll read until 10 minutes to wow, six, and then is, I just go. That is or, a great strategy. It, it, it ensures that you're early for your appointment, yeah. and you're getting your reading in that way. And, I take, and the other thing is, I, everywhere I go, I take a book with me and a notepad, and if you and and you can always win money. Say I can tell you one thing right now: tell Ravelin to go in his left hand pocket, and I'll bet she has three pins. I carry three <laughs> pins in my left hand pocket everywhere I go, whether I've got a dress suit or not. I always carry these pins. Why with me. three pins in your left be, pocket? Be, because uh, some they're, they're different fonts. Like see, see for example that. They they, they they each have a, a, a different a different width a, di- and, a different width right. than that yeah and so when I'm doing books uh, I, I I pull them out and 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 use them but I I don't go anywhere at all with, without books a notebook and pens anywhere I go what about airports <laughs> is there oh, a special well my carry on uh, 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 probably takes me. An hour before the night before I go to bed to figure out what my carry-on is going to be. So uh, I fly only first class. I'm not trying to be elitist or bragging. That's just a, it's just fits me better for reading. So I carry a black leather carry-on bag, um, and 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 in there I, I I'll, I'll take. <laughs> 20 blogs to read, I'll take two magazines, I'll take four books, and 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 then I have my notebooks in there, I have my markers and everything, and and, and my and plus I put my newspapers in there. So by the time I get all that in there, I got a pretty heavy bag, and I and I have a roller bag also. Once we get on the plane, I could fly from LA to, to Philly. If we're going to Philly, by the time I hit Philly, it's three quarters of the reading materials gone. I teased Tim Ferriss about uh, about his books are so thick. Thick. I told him I call uh. I call your books China books because I I can I can I, uh, on a twelve hour flight to Beijing I I can you cover. You can get up. through tools and Titan. Yeah, yeah, I can get through tools of Titan and uh, 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 going. Are you a fast reader? No, I'm a slow reader because I I. I my, my, my theory, and maybe this comes from coaching, but when it comes to books, my theory is attack, attack, attack. So once I get the book, I'm attacking it. I'm, I'm full, I got a full, in the coaching vernacular, I got a full court press on. So once I read this book and, 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 I, and I open the cover, it's a full court press, man. You, gotta bring, you better bring your best offense because I'm coming after you. 
And if it's not a good book, in my opinion, you're going to get exposed. What, what happens when you open a book that's not good? Uh, uh, yeah, because you go through this methodical process of making sure that this is going to be something that I can appreciate or that I'm interested in. What happens when you've disappointed yourself? What happens when I, when I start to lose interest, then I say, okay, don't surrender. This, the author has to have the ability to write at least one good chapter. So then I keep searching for which oh, <coughs> find that one, wow. <coughs> the one good chapter. In most books I read, four of the chapters are unnecessary. Because people come out of the educational system, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. That's basically how you write books. You tell them what you're going to tell them, you tell them, and then you, and then you tell them what you told them. And so in most books, there, there's going to be at least four chapters that, to me, I call them fluff chapters. They're just in there. The way I, as you know, I go to a bookstore. I head to the first thing I do is I go to new releases. <coughs> when I walk in, I look look through. The way I examine a book, I pick pick the book up. I look at the title. Then I go I I go to the table of contents and I'll look through until I and and, and I'll find a chapter that I really like. And then, and then that's where where I start. So I'll go to that chapter. So 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 um, I'm just going to open this up. Okay. This is uh, this is marketing by Seth Godin. Yes. So so I I'll just open up a a a, a chapter and and a trust intentions created forward motion. Okay. So I'll find a chapter and that's where I start. I'll just start at that chapter. And then I'll just skip around. And so that's why I say every chapter is a new book for me. I don't, the author doesn't get the benefit of, of taking me by the hand and walking me down the sidewalk and taking me to where he wants me to go. Because this way I go where I want to go. I don't, as, when you go front to back, they're making the rules. When, when, I, when I go anywhere I want to, I make my own rules. And, and, and what I find out a lot of times, I learn better by, by just by, by doing it that way than having someone uh, lead me where they want me to lead. I, I, I want to go, go down the road less travel. I don't want to go down the, down the 405. Everybody's going down the 405. I'm, I, I might, I'm, I'm going to take one of the side streets across town. Ever give a book to Michael Jordan? Yes. Uh, over the years, I've given him a number. But my, don't forget who Michael played for, Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson, phenomenal reader. Back in the old days when reading wasn't in vogue. And so Phil used to bring books in to give to the players to read. And so, yes, I have given books to Michael. I had the good fortune of being Bob Knight's assistant on the 84 Olympic team. And as you know, that that the Olympics were in Los Angeles in 84, and and Michael was the star of the, the U.S. basketball team winning the gold medal. So I had a, a, a great opportunity to be around him. The one thing I've always felt a little uncomfortable with is people have never really seen the intellectual side of Michael. They're so enamored with his athletic skills and his basketball ability and the marvelous things that he can do is that they... I don't know if people take time to, under, to see Michael Jordan a person. 
because Michael Jordan, the person, is a great is a greater human being than Michael Jordan, the basketball player. In what way? He, it, he's one of the most loving, compassionate. I don't know of anybody in my life other than my parents and, and, and maybe my wife and children who've ever trusted me as much as Michael has uh, uh, in his life. My, and Michael, once he, he you win his respect and trust and loyalty, he has blind loyalty. And he's, and he's such a compassionate person. He's, he's, he's very perceptive. And uh, and he has unusual people skills. His, his I always say his greatest asset is his smile. He can, I I've never been around anybody in my life who could tell someone no, and and, and and they go away not feeling bad. When I worked for Lefty Giselle, he used to say to me, George. He says, son, you know you're really good when you tell somebody to, to get the hell out of here. And when they're walking out, just before they close the door, they turn around and say, hey, thanks a lot. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that. No, but, you know, my, I think sometimes we cheat ourselves because we get, we, it's, it's the same thing we talked about earlier, the surface opinion. We see the surface Michael Jordan, but the most intriguing Michael Jordan is the Michael Jordan that lies beneath the surface. But we don't spend any time trying to, 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 know, to understand that about him. Well, it's it's a difficult thing unless somebody pulls it out or you get a chance to know him. Or, or you become as curious as Michael is. You know, when I sat down with Kobe Bryant, I was really shocked oh. to see that, we, and that he shared my love of curiosity and used it to propel himself just the way I do. Only he just brought it into other areas. I asked him one time when he, you know, he originally signed with Adidas and then he switched to Nike. And one time we were, we were on a trip together in China and I asked him why he switched. And he said, Adidas didn't think like me, Nike did. He said, Nike and I, we think alike. Adidas and I, we didn't think alike. And, and one of the, 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 the overt manifestations of that is Kobe's a, a what's next guy. There's no finish line. It's always what's next. Um, and he's always reaching for his outer limits as a person and, and, and as a businessman. And uh, I heard him speak at a technology seminar last year, and he said something that was startling. They asked him, what's, what's life after basketball going to be for Kobe Bryant? He said, I want to be as good a businessman as I was a basketball player. That's a hell of a statement, boy. I mean, he's, yeah. he, he went public wow. and put himself on the spot. Wow. That and so people are stunned that he had that that type of of, of passion to to continue to be the best Kobe Bryant he could be. I want to be as good a businessman as I was a basketball player. Wow! Do you find yourself getting better every day? Because you have that same curiosity, that same love of what am I going to learn next? I don't really gauge it in, 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 in this sense I do. Uh, every night before I go to bed, one of the last questions I ask myself is, what did I do today to make myself a better person than I was yesterday? And if the answer is no, then shame on me. Because if you do quick math and you take uh, 24 hours and you break it down into to seconds, it comes out to 86,400 seconds. So I had when I got up in the morning, I had the, the one thing God gave me is what he gave everybody else. 
he gave he gave it 24 hours, 86,400 seconds. So if I go to bed at night and I say to myself, what did I do to make myself a better person than I was yesterday? And, I, and the answer is no, then shame on me. I just squandered 86,400 seconds of opportunities to be a better person than I was the day before day before. And I control that. That's the great thing about, about it is, is, is I, I have total control over, over, over my attitude. I have total control over, over my behavior and I have total control over my performance. You, you know, what fascinates me and, and I'm kind of seeing it in my own life and you're a great role model in that respect is that you were going places in your 60s and 70s like that you hadn't been in your 30s or your 40s. Is, is there something about pushing yourself to new limits in your 70s that most people don't understand? Yeah, because you take, but what I've learned in this late stages of life is, is to take down all the, all the fences. And, and, uh, and people have this expectation that how I should act when I'm 60 or 70, the most overrated thing in my, I learned in, 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 my, in my human existence is retirement. It, it, it's, it, 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 it's, it's not something that I have any, any interest in is retiring. The first thing, the minute you retire, you retire your mind first. And once your mind starts re retiring, your body starts retiring. And, and now, now you, you, you end up with three choices. I can, I can either go backwards, I can stand still, or I can go forward. And, and, and when you retire, you're either going to stand still or you're going to go back. And, and to me, what I find now is, is that once you take down those fences or this commonality that we use about inside the box, outside the box, my question is, why does it have to be a box? <laughs> and so, so to me, there are no boxes in my life. There are no fences in my life. There are no rules in my life. Right now, I have the greatest freedom I've ever had in, in, in the history of my lifetime. I, 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 get to, I get to decide what I want to do every day, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, and how long I want to do it. What the hell? You can't have a better life than that. But the greater part of my life, someone else was telling me every day what, what time to get up, what time to go to what, what to do. You, you and I have, have had dinner and, and, and socialized before, so I know I've said this to you before, but I, I, one of my favorite sayings is the hardest fight uh, that a person has is, is to live in a world where every single day someone's trying to make you be someone you, want, you don't want to be. And you think about that all of our life, someone's trying to make us be someone we don't want to be. Someone's trying to make us buy something that we don't need. One of the biggest fundamental lessons that we that educational system doesn't focus enough, enough on is critical thinking. And so let's boil critical thinking down into two words, wants and needs. If we understood the, and focused on wants and needs, most of the things in, in life that we do are things that we want to do. We don't need to do them. We buy a hell of a lot of stuff. Probably 75% of the stuff we buy, we buy because we want it. It's not because we need it. And so 
once you get to this 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 liberation, when you get to be my age now, you 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 understand life isn't about material things. Life is about about trying to utilize this this unique freedom that you have as an eighty one year older to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, and for how long you want to do it. I have that freedom right now. See, I don't have any fences. There, there's, there, there's, there's no billboards. There's no stop signs. There's no exits. Uh, uh, there's, no, there's no freeways. I, I have total control over my life. Most people don't. Somebody every day is trying to tell them to do this. You ought to do this. You ought to do that. But I, I, I don't And you're living that life. I've been working on it. I didn't even tell you this. I've been working on this journal, and I'll start formalizing it in about six months. But I'm, I'm, I'm working on trying to create my ideal day. What would an ideal day be for George Rabling every day? And so I've been working on this on this journal, and I've been keeping notes in it. So, so you can see here, I said, my day. So here's one of the things. One of my goals is to win the day. Every day, win the day. Okay, so... You have you, two you have choices. Two, two choices. You you can you, you can either succeed or you can fail. And then the three th- the things that I say every single day I must control in my life as an eighty one year old is my energy, my time, and uh, and here I have waste and growth. But what basically I've narrowed it down to energy, time, and perform and environment. And so people say, what do you mean by environment? Because the the environment can create chaos in your life, disruptions, distractions. So I don't get into environments where I have to compete with a, with a lot of other disruptive forces and that. So I, these are the things. And every day I ask myself these questions. Who am I? What's the most important thing that I must do today? I ask every day those, those two questions I have to ask, ask myself. Who am I and what are the most important things I have to do today? Two most important words to use every day. Yes and no. So I'm, I'm working on this uh, on this manual for, for myself. It's not just for me. I'm, I'm going to create an ideal day for George Raveling, and then I'm going to live it every day. It's no sense in creating it if you're not going to live it. I'm going to try and create an ideal day for Cal Fussman. And you know what's going to be in the middle of it? What? A trip to a bookstore with you, George Raveling. Uh, thank you. <laughs> we, we've already done that once, and it was a hell- Not enough. Not enough. So... I got to say thank you. This has been amazing to get all your wisdom. They call you coach for a reason. I wish I could hang around with you all the time. We have fun when we hang out. Yeah. And we eat good. And we eat good. <laughs> so to the next meal, to the next visit to the bookstore, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. That about wraps it up. As always, want to thank Tim Ferriss for nudging me to start this podcast. It's hard for me to grasp how far it's come in a year. Man, when I started, I didn't even know where to put the wires in my Zoom H6 recorder. Now to get them into the microphones. Now I'm setting up at a WeWork that's close to my guest. And you'll always be close to the people you need to be next to at WeWork. Because WeWorks are all over the place. Check one out. And if you want some office space, 
you're going to get 20% off just by going to www.we.co slash cal. Also want to thank my other sponsors, my pals at Sportique, S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E, who make me feel so comfortable when I'm recording these intros and outros because I'm recording in my Sportique sweatpants and hoodie. Go to Sportique.com, S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com, and use the offer code CAL, and you're going to get a 20% discount. Soon as you put these threads on, you're going to find out why I'm so happy. Also, please check out myintent.org for bracelets that can change your life. The word that can guide you into the future is chiseled into it so that every time you look at it, you'll be reminded to move forward toward your goals and dreams. And it's going to be easier to reach those dreams with a 30% discount if you use the offer code CAL. You know what? Makes me feel good offering you these discounts. These are all products that I use in my daily life. So check them out and find out why. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for sharing these episodes. And thank you all for sending me photos of where you listen to big questions. It's at calfussman.com. I look forward to seeing you somewhere down the tracks lifting a glass and clinking it with you until we meet for now cheers